beginning of verse 13, it says, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard the voice, a voice from the four corners of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year to slay a third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen was 200,000, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was a third of mankind killed, by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents which had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men, this is our context, the rest of the men that were didn't die in these judgments, The rest of men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not. It doesn't say they couldn't. It says they didn't. Yet repented not from the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, their sexual sin, nor of their theft. So we have this strange, strange picture. Understand, you know, as we're going through Revelation, you and I, raptured before this, will see this from the mezzanine will have a different vantage point. So watch this. But it's terrible what's happening on the earth. But the Lord is taking us to chapter 20, to the kingdom age, a thousand years where he reigns on earth, where we reign with him. And he's taking us to chapter 21 when the holy city Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. He's taking us to a, a very specific look at our destiny and our hope and our future But he has to make that journey through these other things to substantiate why he does what he does both for and against. And I think as we go through here and you look at this and think, well, if God's a God of love, what what is the deal here? You know, this is tough. And I think he's pleased when we think those things. Father, how is this consistent with you? Of what I know about you. You so loved me that you gave your only begotten son. And here these terrible things, Lord, are coming on the earth. What context can I put these in, Lord? You know, and I almost feel like he's saying to us, look, I did everything I could. I slowly turned up the heat. 
There's two prophets, Moses and Elijah, in Jerusalem. There's 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. There's testimony around the world, and I'm doing everything I can possibly do. And they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't repent. I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I understand humanity created in my image and likeness and ruined by the evil one in the fall. I understand. So I make every divine effort to turn the hearts of men and women back to myself that they might be saved. And no matter what I did, he wants us to know. We're his children. We're going to be reading this. He's saying to us, no matter what I did. See, we have a loving father. No matter what I did. They wouldn't turn. They wouldn't turn. This is the sixth trumpet to sound. When the seventh trumpet sounds, the seventh trumpet contains the seven vials of God's wrath. Judgment is complete then. It says here in verse 13, and the sixth angel sounded, blowing his trumpet, and I heard a voice, singular, a singular voice. Now it's interesting because in the other judgments he says, I saw. If you look there in verse 1, the fifth angel sounded, and I saw. The implications on the first four trumpets is he sees what's happening. This time he says, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice. And it was from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now it's very, it's being very specific. Uh, we have back, and uh, I'll read it in chapter 8, verse 3. It says, another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. Now John says, this sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns. Now, there's all definite articles here, so it's trying to be help us understand this is very specifically a certain altar. He says, I heard the voice from the four horns, of the golden, then it says the altar, which is the one before God. So each time it says very specifically, we're talking about this altar. Now it doesn't tell us who the voice is. Uh, is the voice God? I don't know. Is the voice Jesus? Some try to say that. Is the voice one of the angels or this the angel himself here, or the angel of his presence? Some try to say, well, the voice is actually the altar. Well, there's nowhere in the book of Revelation inanimate object speaks, so I doubt that very much. The important thing is there's a voice that we hear in the context here, and, and it's going to tell this angel to do something. It's very interesting because the other angels just sound their trumpet. This angel sounds his trumpet, then he hears a voice telling him something to do, unlike the five that are before him. I heard a voice... From the four horns 
of the golden altar, which was before the throne of God, saying to the sixth angel, John's hearing this, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. For, by the way, they're there today. They haven't been loosed yet. So it says there's four angels bound at the river Euphrates that are going to be loosed. Um, these are not God's holy angels. There's no place in Scripture where one of God's angels are bound. These are fallen angels. They're not the ones at the river Euphrates in chapter 16. I'm going to make that clear. Um, because there's three spirits there that go into the earth and gather men together for battle to Armageddon. It's not Armageddon. These angels, we're told in Genesis 6 about the fall of angels, we're told in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that in fact there is a place of imprisonment for the fallen angels. Evidently, some of that prison here is by the Euphrates, Jude 6 talks about the angels that left their first estate once and for all, and and they're given over, and they're bound in prison until the judgment of the great day. So there is a place for fallen angels. Angels, again, seem to differ from demons. These angels are bound there. Are these angels there from what took place in rebellion against God before the flood? Or after the flood. After the flood, remember, there were giants in the earth again after the flood. Humans all drowned. Fallen angels didn't drown. So there's a reproduction of giants. After the flood, we're going to read through the days of Abraham and the days of Moses. There's the Rephim, tribes of giants. The Anakim, the Emims, the Horims, the Zamzumans. Somebody looked up at one of those and said, Zamzuman, you know. Uh, there's all of these tribes of giants afterwards again. Are these angels responsible for that? We know this. They've been bound for a long time, and they are not happy. They're in a bad mood. <laughs> they have been bound for a long time. The, the river Euphrates is the only surviving river out of the four in Genesis that flowed out of Eden, where it says Gihon, Pishon, Hedekel, which they think could be the Tigris, but it says specifically the Euphrates. Then, before the flood, no doubt, giant underground aquifers fed these rivers that flowed. After the flood, no doubt, the course of the Euphrates changed, but it's the one river that remains. It divides east from west. The Roman generals refused to go past the Euphrates. The Parthians, other people on the other side, terrified them for some reason. Israel's enemies always come from Assyria, from Babylon, from this area. The boundaries given to Abraham and to Joshua uh, ultimately go to the river Euphrates and not beyond that. This is a very busy area spiritually and always has been. Uh, very interesting, and you can look this up yourself. I'm not saying I believe it. Notice how I'm putting all this out there to make myself innocent before I talk. During the first Persian Gulf crisis, 
when the American troops came in to Iraq, they found a site that was being excavated by German scientists, archaeologists, and particularly a Bavarian archaeologist. And they believed they had found the crypt of Gilgamesh. By the way, it's described in the Epic of Gilgamesh with all these canals around and so forth. Because in the Epic of Gilgamesh, who was a Nephilim, he was like 13, 14 foot tall, the great king of Uruk, which is Iraq today. It says when they buried Gilgamesh, the Euphrates River parted and they buried him in his crypt in the middle of the Euphrates. And after they buried him, the river came back again over his crypt. Now, the course of the river has changed. It flows from Mount Ararat today and the it's changed, but supposedly, supposedly, these archaeologists had found the crypt of Gilgamesh. The American military heard about it, moved in, and countermanded the site. They took it over and kicked those guys out. You can do whatever you want with that. It's just free information. The point is, Gilgamesh is buried there somewhere. This is spiritually a very busy place. There are four fallen angels bound there and these other spirits when we get to chapter 16. So spiritually, a very, very busy place. They're there today rattling some kind of a chain that they can't get loose from. And God in his judgment, it says there are these fallen angels reserved unto the day of judgment. They're going to serve his purposes. He's sovereign. If they're bound, he did it. They can only be loosed if he does it. As you go through this whole chapter, you hear God did this and God governed a third, five months. God is sovereign all the way through these things. He's the initiator and the limiter of each judgment that comes. And it says these angels, they are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed. Now they had been bound. The four angels were loosed, which were prepared. God's involved in this. They are prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Literally, there's a definite article there. King James says they are prepared for an hour. The Greek says they are prepared for the hour. It is a definite article. And then there's just ands, and a day, and a month, and and a year to slay a third part of mankind. Greek, the rule says if there's one definite article that governs four nouns, it's not speaking of a duration. It's speaking of an occasion. Because some people read Revelation commentators, and they try to say, well, these angels are loosed for a year, 12 months, and a month, that's 13 months, and a week, that's 13 months, and one week, and a day, that's, you know, they they try to make this a period of time. No, the, the structure here is they are bound, it says here, for the hour, and then it basically says, and day, and month, and year to slay apart. What it's saying is this is an occasion. It's not a duration. It's saying that there is a year. Well, everything else going on in the world, everything going on in the book of Revelation, there is a year, and in that year, there's a month. 
There's been preparation in regards to that month. In that month, there's a day. And in that day, there is an hour that God will have these four angels released. By the way, that happens many times. If 25 or 26 percent of the scripture is prophecy, how many times through human history was there a year and a month and a day and an hour? You think in your life there was a year and a month and a day and there was an hour when you finally came to your knees and asked Christ to be your Savior. It was marked off. He knew. He knows the end from the beginning. And the thing we see here is he's sovereign over all. They they can't speed this up. They can't get released an hour earlier. And they want to get out of there, trust me. The enemy is under God's sovereignty. We get to chapter 13. You know, Lucifer, the Antichrist, can't change his number from 666 to 667. That's it. It's already set. And in this scene, these four angels... Very specifically, because they're going to take, it says, a third part of mankind. Look, in chapter 6, verse 8, you have the, when you have the four horsemen ride there of the apocalypse, there's war, then there's famine, then there's pestilence, and then it says there, a fourth of mankind perish. Now, I was looking at the... the internet this last, actually a week ago, and at that point, there was 7.8 billion people on the planet. And there was probably some who didn't sign the census that we don't know about. 7.8 billion, and I don't know how many were born while I was waiting to get here this week. But just for, because I'm mentally thick, we'll just figure there's 8 billion people on the planet now. So if one-fourth perish under the four horsemen of the apocalypse, that's 2 billion People. There's not been destruction like this since the flood in Noah's day, and we don't know what the population was then. Two billion gone. Imagine that. Major cause of death again last year in the world, abortion, 45 million abortions. Two billion people gone. Then this now, they say, they take a third, which is the second one-fourth. And this is in an hour. Two more billion people gone. Just, it's hard to even comprehend what this is saying. And God's going to say at the end, I tried. I tried. They're prepared for an hour of a day, of a month, of a year to take a third part of mankind, it says. And now verse 16 tells us this. And the number of the army of the horsemen, there's his cavalry, were 200,000,000. And he says, and I heard the number of them. He could have never counted them. So the number is told him here. He doesn't just say multitudes, doesn't say innumerable. He said, when I looked at this cavalry, I was told there's 200 million cavalry here. Now, people want to jump right away to chapter 16 because you have the kings of the east coming there. There's three spirits released from the Euphrates then, and they gather the armies of the world to Armageddon. 
And people want to say, well, the kings of the East, because uh, 1965, how many of you weren't born yet? You don't know nothing. Nineteen, <laughs> listen, 1965, Time Magazine, May 25th, page 35. In the article about Red China, it said Red China claimed they could field an army of 200 million men. It's 1965. So people want to jump right away and say, well, this is China. Trust me. This is not China. This is not China. These are not human. And besides, Revelation 16 can't happen until after the seventh trumpet sounds. There's a sequence here. None of the trumpets can sound on the fifth seal or the fourth seal, only on the seventh seal. And none of the vials of God's wrath can be poured out on the second trumpet or the fourth trumpet, only on the seventh trumpet. So there's a sequence of events, and that event in chapter 16 is different from this event here. Look, if you took 200 million cavalry, men on horses, and put them breast to breast, and if they were a mile wide, they'd be 87 miles deep. That's 200 million cavalry, tightened up. No, no, no social distancing. Mile wide and 87 miles long. That's why John said the number was told to me. I heard the number of them. 200 million of them. And he says, and I saw the horses in the vision. Now he goes right to the horses. There are riders, but it's the horses that cause the destruction, not the riders. And I saw the horses in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates, he describes it this way, of fire, which would be red, of jacinth, which is a smoky blue, of brimstone, which is a off yellow, and the heads of the horses, and he had seen horses before, he's in the Roman Empire, this is John. The heads of the horses were as, he doesn't say they were lion's heads, but they were, they were as the heads of lions. You've never seen horses like this before. Their heads were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths, the horses, issued fire and smoke and brimstone. This is, this is not a helicopter, please. Okay? There aren't enough helicopters right now bound at the river Euphrates that can kill 200 billion, you know, can kill 2 billion people in an hour. These are not tanks. There's no tanks stored under the Euphrates River. Just trust me on this. These are fallen angels with demonic armies, and they come forth. Look, one of God's angels in... 2 Kings chapter 19 slew 185,000 Assyrians in one night. One angel. Not Michael, not Gabriel, one angel. We don't know. Ralph. Okay? One angel. That's why Jesus said, Peter, put your sword up in your sheath. Don't you think I could say something? Twelve legions of angels would come down right now. When we read the life of Elijah in 2 Kings, it tells us that God came down to take Elijah to heaven 
with horses and chariot. There was a horses and chariot of fire that he was taken up. Then in chapter 6 of 2 Kings, when it's telling us about the life of Elisha, beginning of verse 13 to about verse 18, it says there that Elisha is sleeping and his servant wakes up and he sees the army of the Assyrians surrounding them. And so many, he's freaked out and he wakes up Elisha. Get up, get up, get up, look, look, the bad guys. And, and Elisha looks at him. Uh, where's my latte? You know, he, he, he says, look, uh, there's more with us than there are with them. Just, And then he says, Lord, okay, calm him down. Open his eyes and show him. And it says the servant then of Elisha sees the armies of chariots and the horses of fire surrounding the city. So right now there's a spiritual realm surrounding us. Aren't you glad your children have guardian angels? Because it was up to you. They've been dead a long time ago. You know. The question is, when we grow up, do they stick with us for the rest of the course? Or, you know, some of us have a harder time now than they did then. But this room is filled with angels, undoubtedly. It says we're two or three gathered. He's in the midst. There are spiritual realities around us, right? We, you know, sometimes struggle with that. Look, it's telling us there's a spiritual world that predominates any physical world. It's okay with us. You know, we, we think, well, there are sounds in this room. You just heard that. There are, sound, there, there are sounds in this room. There are voices. You could get right on your phone. Don't do it. And you could hear voices. There are voices. This room is filled with images. You get on your phone. Don't do it. But you could watch something, you know, videos. There's images all through this room. Now, we don't think about that because it's transmission and reception, because it fits into our teeny little heads, we're willing to accept it. But when the Bible says this room is also filled with voices and images and personages, oh, you must be a nut if you believe that, right? There's a spiritual realm. These four angels, which are fallen angels, are bound at Euphrates. They're going to be released. When they're released, their cavalry, whatever it is, now of 200 million of these horses with their riders of fire and a brimstone. We see that in the Old Testament. They're let loose on earth. We don't know whether... Each breastplate of the horse or the rider is red and blue and yellow, or whether each rider has either a red or a blue or a yellow breastplate. It's not real specific about that, uh, but we do know there's fire and jacinth and sulfur, brimstone, involved in this. And it says it's with those three, the fire, the, the, the smoke, and the brimstone, that they kill. They kill. If they kill 2 million people and there's 200 million of them, they killed 2 billion, they've got to kill like, you can do the math here, I was never, it was never my subject, but that's like seven an hour per rider. And what would you do? If you seen a couple of these galloping around your neighborhood, you think you had dreams last week about locusts. I want you to go to bed this week and dream about these babies, you know. 
John had seen horses before. He had seen Orientals before. These are not kings of the East. These are not horses. This is something vastly different that he sees here. And look, I have brothers and friends who try to interpret this as helicopters and tanks. You know, to me, why would God go to all of this trouble and and present something that could be misinterpreted? He doesn't want that at this point. This has to be abundantly clear because over half of the population of earth is disappearing. And it is abundantly clear that something spiritual is going on. People can't relegate this anymore to earthquakes or to war or anything else. It says, I saw these horses and those that sat on breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone The heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of the horse's mouth issues fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three, the fire, smoke, and brimstone, was a third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths, the horses. And their power is in their mouth, And in their tails, that's how you know it's not the riders. And in their tails, for their tails were like unto, they were like, it doesn't say they were. Their tails, because remember the locusts, their tails were like unto scorpions. These now, it says, their tails were like unto serpents and had heads. So imagine the tails on these horses swinging around with heads, like a bunch of snakes tied to the wrong end there. You know. They had heads, and with them do they hurt. So it doesn't say the serpents do the killing. It's the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone that kill. Uh, but but if that wasn't bad enough while you're waiting to get killed, you get bit by one of these, you know. Um, you, you look at all of this, and you think, Lord, what's the point? Well, the context then is how this ends. Look at what it says. It says, and the rest of men, the idea is the ones that weren't killed, the ones that are still alive. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not. It doesn't say they could not, it says they would not. He has 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams preaching. He has the two prophets outside of Jerusalem. He had a multitude that got saved out of this time, we see in chapter 7. And it says, yet they refused to repent. It tells us from the works of their hands that they should not worship demons. So they're worshiping the very thing that's killing them. How many people today are worshiping the very thing that kills them? They bow the knee in the wrong place. They should not worship devils and idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. You know, uh, Psalm 115, it talks about those who worship idols, you know, that can't see and can't hear and can't speak. And it says those who worship them have become like them. If you worship something that can't see and can't hear and can't speak, that's how you become. Somebody who can't see what's really going on. Someone who can't hear the truth. Someone who has nothing to say. Verse 20 certainly represents the first table of the law. It's idolatry. 
turning away from the living God to idols. The second verse, now 21, deals with the second table of law, man's relationship with his fellow man. Neither repented they of their murders the days of Noah. The earth was filled with violence. They didn't repent of their murders or of their sorceries. Again, pharmacia. They used psychedelic and hallucination, you know, drugs in these days and their sorceries, pharmakia, pharmacos. Today, people using drugs open themselves up to spiritual realms they're not supposed to be open to. Neither repented they of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual sin, fornication, any sexual activity outside of marriage, nor of their thefts. You know, look, we look at this. Take this seriously. If you're sitting here or you're listening and you're living in sexual sin with someone or you're living in adultery, what's it going to take for you to repent? You know, when people say, well, God understands. Does he look at this chapter? Yeah, he understands. He understands his son bore everything that needed to be born on the cross so that you and I can come for forgiveness. But they repented not. I, I, I look at this and I think, this is just unbelievable. The hardness of men's hearts. The capacity we have to harden ourselves against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Today, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Very simply, that's the Holy Spirit's going to come and put on the heart of man. There are things that are wrong. There are things that are right. And there's consequences. Humans know that innately. And here they refuse to turn. Um, you know, it, it tells us, Paul tells us this in Acts. Well, Luke tells us, but Paul, he's standing before Agrippa, says, he says, Jesus said to me, I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people... And from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You know, Paul said, when the Lord appeared to me and he sends me to the Gentile nations, which are idolaters and all, it says, you go to them, you preach the good news to them, because it's my heart to deliver them from darkness to light. From the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, my ulterior motive, so that they can have forgiveness of their sins and an inheritance in the saints in light. You know, Jude would say this. Um, he says in verse 14, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesies of these, the ones that would not turn, saying, Behold, uh, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints 
to execute judgment upon all and to convict all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude says, you know, in this vision, you know, here the Lord is finally going to come and deal with ungodly people, with ungodly behavior, with ungodly deeds that have spoken ungodly things against him, that ultimately he deals with that. Again, we get to chapter 16, Armageddon, when his judgment comes in, in the full, three times it tells us that they curse the God of heaven. They know clearly where it's coming from. So, look, you and I are called to preach the gospel to this lost and hopeless world. How many are going to turn? I don't know that. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to bring Christ to men. Only God brings men to Christ. Our loved ones, our friends that are around us that are not saved, God's heart towards them to bring them from darkness to light, to bring them from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, that their sins could be forgiven and they could have an inheritance in light with those that are saved. You know, and I and I look at this and it's it's troubling and it's weird and I don't want to dream about these horses when I go to bed tonight. And I think, Lord, you know, you promised a blessing for those who read and hear and keep these things. What is it? And I just think here he is stepping back saying to his bride, to his blood-bought sons and daughters, this isn't what I want. This isn't how I'd have it. I did everything I could. They wouldn't turn. I did everything. I want you to know. I can't, he would say, I want you to know sitting here this morning, I did everything I could do. I gave my own son. And then in my judgment, I paced it. I prepared it. It wasn't complete. It was in part. It says a third of men died. Thirteen times in the trumpets, it says a third. A third of the water, a third of the trees, uh, you know, a, a third of the fresh water, a third of the ships. Here it says a third of the men. Could have been all of them. It's almost as though the Lord's saying, I did everything that I could. You know, look at how he ends the book of Revelation. He says, he that is a thirst, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. That word in the Greek is undeservedly, not just freely. It's undeservedly. God's invitation is how he ends Revelation. Anybody who's thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life that he doesn't deserve, he's not worthy of, he could never earn, he could never work for. It's free in that sense, but the Greek word is undeservedly. Anyone who thirsts, that's how he ends the whole book. Let him come and drink of the water of life, undeserving, not deserving it. Drink deeply 
Oh, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the water. He that has mon- no money, come and buy and eat. You know, he, he invites us which, with nothing on our end to come. That's the, the, our Father in heaven. It's the Savior we love. It's, it's a compassion beyond human understanding. But also his judgment will be spiritual. We're surrounded with spiritual realities right now. And they will break forth in greater and greater degrees in the days ahead. What we need to do is share what we believe with our loved ones, our friends, the people we work with, right? People we go to school with, people we care about. We just share the truth. Look, whether they get saved or not is up to him. That has nothing to do with us sharing the truth because God's glory is involved with that. God will always be able to say, they heard, they heard, they heard. And right now in this generation, right now on this day, you and I are the ones who participate in this. And, you know, there's somebody in a supermarket. The mailman comes to the door and you happen to be there. Wherever it is, we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether men reject that or not is not our business. Because all across the board, God will get the glory and he'll be able to say, I did everything I could. I brought that mailman to their front door and had them open up with their cup of coffee and their curlers and say, you know what? Jesus loves you and died for you. You see, you know, God's going to he's going to get glory out of all of it. Our participation right now is to share his love with a lost and hopeless world. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, we're going to sing a last song of the musicians come. I'd encourage you to come up after the service and pray with us. We'd love to give you a copy of the scripture. Look, not Calvary Chapel. Forget about church denominations. Forget about religions. It's only about Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. Do you know him? He's alive. That's all that matters. Not religion, relationship. If you have never come to Jesus Christ, we just invite you to come up. You want to come up while we're worshiping, you do that. But get up here after the service. Let us give you a Bible. We don't want your email or your home address. We're not going to give you an offering box or something foolish. You know, you come and let us pray with you and see you come from darkness to light. From the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God and receive the remission of sins and an inheritance among the saints in light. You come. Let us see that. What a privilege. Father, I know you've overheard. We put these things before you. Lord, what a strange chapter. And we don't want to dream about this tonight, Lord. You give your beloved sleep, Lord. Uh, we do pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts These in these just even... Lord, supernatural and supernaturally strange places. You've still promised a blessing to those who read and those who hear and then those who keep. There's something for us to keep and guard and watch over here, Lord. And certainly as much as we can see, Lord, in regards to your love and your brokenheartedness about those who still would not repent, let us at least embrace that, Lord, that you always... Do everything you can, Lord. So, Father, we we put these things before you. Lead us, Lord. Let the love of Christ be shed abroad from our hearts, Lord. Fill us to overflowing with the power of your Spirit. 
and his person. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.